We meet today in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to verse 22. Ephesians chapter 2 talks of the church as a temple. Now we are looking at the method and meaning of the construction. The method of the construction of the church as the temple of God. Ephesians 2 verse 11 and 12. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The church in Ephesus was made up largely of Gentiles. There was just a small colony of Jews there. So Gentiles are further identified as the uncircumcision here. The so-called circumcision, the Jews, put this label on the Gentiles. And God made a real distinction between Jews and Gentiles, beginning with Abraham and advancing to the advent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Israel occupied a unique place among the nations. A Gentile could come in only as a proselyte. In time, this valid distinction caused friction because Israel became proud of her position. Israelites came to look down on Gentiles and hatred crept into the hearts of both groups. In these verses, there is a description of the sad lot and hopeless plight of the Gentiles in particular. It is also an accurate picture of any lost man. That is what it means to be lost, actually. Here is a description of a lost man or Gentiles without Christ. And that is the best definition of a lost person. It is the opposite of being in Christ. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. It means here alienated from the citizenship of Israel. And that is the description of a Gentile. The Gentile had no God-given religion as Israel had. They had no right to go back in the Old Testament and take the promises which God made to Israel and then appropriate them for themselves. Actually, we don't have that right either. God didn't make those promises to us. They were specifically to Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise. You see, God had made certain promises to the nation Israel. The covenants which God made with Israel are still valid today, but no Gentile has any right to appropriate them. God has promised the children of Israel, the land of Israel, all of it. They will get it someday, but it will be on God's term, not on their term. When I was in Israel, I didn't attempt to homestead or take out a claim on the basis that God has promised that land to me in the Old Testament. Well, I understood that he was talking to Israel and not to me. The promise that he has given to me is John 14, verse 2 to verse 3. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That way I am, there you may be also. That is my promise. Again, we continue with the description of the lost person. Having no hope 
Now look at the religions of the world today. They have no hope. They cannot promise resurrection and they are very hazy about what happens after death. The cults offer no hope at all. They put up a huddle that no honest human being could get over. Having no hope was the tragic plight of the Gentiles. To the lost man, the present life is all important, and if he misses out on the fun here, then he is doubly hopeless. The lost person is without God in the world, without God in the world. This does not mean that God has removed himself from men, no, but rather it means man has removed himself from God. A man is godless because of his choice. He is in the darkness wandering about with the rest of the lost humanity. And frankly, if I were in the position of the lost man today, I would just maybe drink and drown myself in drink and just enjoy this life and forget everything else. What else could a person do? I would have no hope. But the good news is I have hope. The only hope I could have there in the world without God is to squeeze this life and to squeeze everything out of this life like an orange and get all the juice out of it as much as I can. But that is not the, the only truth to life, my friend. I have something to look forward to. I have hope in God. But without God, I have no hope. Now, it is a terrible thing. It is an awful condition that Paul describes here, talking of people without God, people who are lost. And this is why you see people going to the extreme limits of just living in sin and indulging in all kinds of dirty works. Why they are without God. But notice that something also has happened, and that changes it. In fact, it changes the whole description of the said lot of the people without God by beginning with the word, but. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 13. You see, in the temple was the court of the Gentiles way off to the side. Gentiles were permitted to come, but they were away far off. But now, for the Gentiles who are in Christ, all has changed. They were without Christ. Now they are in Christ. The distance and barriers which separated them from God, all of them have been removed. They have been brought near not by their efforts or merits, but by the blood of Christ. Here is Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 17. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those 
who were near. You see, my friend, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are not only brought into a body, but you are also brought into a place where you stand before God on a par with everybody else. I stand with you, and you stand with me on equal footing. So today there should never be a point of separation for believers on any basis, my friend. We have been made one in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, it makes no difference who you are. You and I are going to be together throughout eternity. We better start practicing it now. It wouldn't be a bad idea for us to speak to one another every now and then down here on earth. The contrast in, in this passage is really between the Jew and the Gentile. The Lord Jesus Christ is the peace that has been made between us. The middle wall, the fence or the partition, the enmity between the two has been broken down in the body of Christ. He has made a new man. We have been put together in Christ and he has made peace. It means that we now have peace with God and we should also have peace with each other. God's reconciliation is already complete, my friend. He is ready to receive you if you are ready to come. Therefore, the message that goes out is, Be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 If you will be reconciled, you will be brought into a new body, a body of believers, and it doesn't make any difference whether you are Jew or Gentile. The color of your skin makes no difference. White, brown, red, black, all are one in Christ Jesus. We have been made one man, one new man, and we should have peace. The emphasis in this passage is upon the glorious person of Christ Jesus. He not only made peace by the cross, but those who trust him are placed in him and become new men. God had made a difference originally by separating the Jews from the nations. The Jew eventually developed a spiritual pride, and this led to the ultimate hatred between Jew and Gentile. When a Jew and a Gentile are placed in Christ, there is peace. There is peace not only because of the new position, but also because something new has come into existence. Paul identifies this as a new man. That is why Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greeks or to the church of God. First Corinthians 10 verse 32. Now that church is the new man. It is not that the Gentile has been elevated to the status of the Jew. No, God has elevated both to a higher plane. Christenstom has stated it this way. He does not mean that he has elevated us to that high dignity of theirs, but he has raised both us and them to one still higher. I will give you an illustration. Let us imagine that there are two statues one of silver and the other of lead, and then that both shall be melted down and the two shall come out gold. So thus he has made the two one. Now this is a marvelous illustration of how we have been brought together in Christ. Some were silver, some were bronze, but put together, melted, and what came out was gold, a higher value 
on a higher plane. I do not believe in the universal brotherhood of men and the universal fatherhood of God. To me, that is an outrageous heresy. I believe a true brotherhood is composed of those who are in Christ Jesus. A man may have skin black as charcoal, but if he is not a child of God, he is not my brother. A man may have the skin as white as snow, and if he is a child of God, that person is my brother. You see, what happens is we are something new in Christ Jesus, a new man. This is the building, the temple that God is building today. Rather than say that the Gentile was elevated to the status of the Jew, one might say that the Jew was brought down to the level of the Gentile because both Jew and Gentile are in the same state of sin. Actually, we are all brothers as sinners, all sons of Adam. We read in Romans 3 verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now, that is the state we are in. The peace referred to is between the Jew and the Gentile. When the Jew and the Gentile come to the cross as sinners, they are made into a new creation. They become a new man, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament temple, which succeeded the Mosaic tabernacle, was marked by partitions. There were three entrances into the three departments, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Then there were sections partitioned off for priests, Israel, women, and Gentiles. Now, Christ, by his death, took out the veil and he became the way that is the outer court, the truth that is the holy place, and the life, the holy of holies. Now we come through Christ directly into the presence of God the Father. Those who come to him are removed from their little departments and are placed in Christ, the new temple, where there are no departments, where there are no partitions. The cross dissolves the fences, and the gospel is preached to the Gentiles, those who were far off, and to the Jews, those who were near. What a picture we have here. It is amazing to see what Christ did for us on the cross. Ephesians 2 verse 18 For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, I wonder whether you have noticed that this little verse is actually a big verse. It is like a little atom. It has in it the Trinity. For through him, that is Christ, we have access by one Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, to the Father, that is God the Father. <laughs> Jew and Gentile are on the same footing as sinners at the foot of the cross. In addition, through Christ they both have access to God, which is a glorious privilege for any human being. Paul makes it very clear in Romans 5 that justification by faith is a benefit available to all. We have access to God through Christ Jesus, and that is wonderful. Now, I don't think this means 
that we can flagrantly rush into the presence of God when we talk about access. But it does give us the real privilege to have access to the Father through the Lord Jesus. We believe in the priesthood of believers, and that is all believers have access to him. That is the meaning of this statement. Now we move on to the meaning of the construction of this temple. Ephesians 2, verse 19 and verse 20. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now Paul reminds the Gentile believers that though they were strangers and alienated from God, their present position is infinitely bettered. They are no more strangers. They are no more foreigners or sojourners. They are now fellow citizens with the saints. The saints here is not a reference to Old Testament saints. Gentile believers are fellow citizens with the New Testament Jewish saints, the other members of the body of Christ. They belong to a household, not as servants, but as relatives, as members of the family of God. Now this citizenship is not in Israel and the earthly Jerusalem, but it is in heaven. Philippians 3 verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are now fellow citizens. We belong to heaven at this very present time. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, this is important. It does not mean that the apostles and the prophets were the foundations, but that they personally laid the foundation. The early church built its doctrine upon that of the apostles. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 tells us, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. You see, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, this reveals that Christ is the rock on which the church is built. Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Peter states it like this, Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. First Peter 2 Verse 6 to 8. The important thing to note here is that Peter says that the Lord Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Therefore, Peter understood what the Lord meant when he spoke to him earlier, when Jesus was still working on the earth. And he said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16 verse 18. Jesus is talking about himself. 
He is the rock on which the church is built. The apostles and the prophets put down the foundation, and Christ is the chief cornerstone, the rock. Ephesians 2 verse 21 to 22 In whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The analogy to the temple of the Old Testament is obvious here, yet there is a contrast revealed in the analogy. There were several buildings in the temple at Jerusalem. However, I don't think Paul is referring to the different buildings. He means each individual believer is fitted into the total structure. Peter expressed it in the same way when he wrote that we are stones fitted together into a building, into a spiritual house. First Peter 2 verse 5. Paul speaks of the church as a temple which is currently under construction. That is quite interesting also because in Paul's day, Herod's temple was unfinished. It had been 40 years in the building already in our Lord's day and it was destroyed in A.D. 70. Even when it was destroyed, it had not yet been completely built. The church is under construction today, and it will be finished. But what happens to the church, to the believers? They grow into a holy temple, growing together into a holy temple. It is a growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And this confirms the fact that it is still unfinished. The structure is also different. It is not one stone put on top of another stone in a cold way. No, the temple is growing. God is taking dead materials, dead in trespasses and sins, and he is giving it life. The living, born-again stones are growing into a living temple. What a picture. As Solomon's temple was built without the sound of a hammer, so the Holy Spirit silently places each dead sinner into the living temple through the regeneration and baptism. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 tells us, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. It is called a holy temple, a holy sanctuary. It is holy because the Holy Spirit indwells it. By the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the saved sinner is placed in the Lord. The Holy Spirit indwells each believer. The church, the body of Christ, is a dwelling, a permanent temple of God in the Spirit. When believers come together in a building to worship God, the Holy Spirit is present there. In that sense, God is in that building. But when every believer has left the building, God has left it also because he is with the believers. God is not in any church building anymore, friend, than he is even in any pub. Today, God indwells believers, not buildings. The purpose of the church as a temple is to reveal the presence and the glory of God on the earth. And you as a believer, you as a child of God, are you revealing God wherever you may be?
You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs, so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.